Sulis. We are uh, incredibly down bad here this episode. Welcome to episode 11 of Sulite. Uh, we're coming off a rough weekend. It was the regional weekend. UND had their season ended against Minnesota Duluth in a five-overtime thriller after defeating American International College in the regional semifinal. Just an amazing game, right? UND, uh, all the goals were scored in the third period, at least in regulation, went down 2-0. Scored two goals within a minute to tie it up, send it to overtime. Uh, and then the horses started running from there, right? And uh, my memory kind of fogs up a little from there. Fuchs, do you want to remind me, uh, brush me up on what happened after regulation? Because I kind of blacked out. Uh, first thing that happened after regulation is that Sam and I watched the overtime in four different locations. That's how long overtime was. We, we started, we watched the first two at our apartment. Third one was at the loft. Fourth was at O'Reilly slash Joe Blacks. And then the fifth was at Joe Blacks. And uh, we, were, we were having conversations about what are they going to do when this game goes past bar close? They're going to keep it open. They're going to stop serving alcohol. No one really knew what was going to go on and no one really knew who was going to win the game. Uh, I thought personally UND was buzzing in that first overtime. I thought the second and third were pretty close. And by the fourth overtime, I thought UND had full control. Unfortunately, uh, only takes one bounce to decide to, to decide a game, to decide a, a tournament, a season. And uh, like you said, just incredibly down bad, but uh, it, it was a good year overall. I think we'll look back on this year as being probably one of the more memorable years of, uh, of UND hockey in my mind. Yeah, it was uh, incredible uh, before I let Tyler speak his mind on it because I know he has tons to say about it. Uh, and we even talked to Dave Starban a little bit about it uh, later on in the episode. We talked to him about the game briefly and uh, just an incredible game. Adam Shield gave up the goal in the fifth overtime. You can't blame him. It was a weak goal, but uh, Fuchs, I remember you telling me he was on his feet for four hours and he had made 60 saves already. We wouldn't be at the, that point in the game for and for him playing the way he did. Uh, Minnesota Duluth even swapped out goalies because their starting goalie started to get cramps and uh, he was a nervous wreck about the game. Uh, at this point, I'm going to bring you in, Tyler, because you had a different perspective from, than us. Uh, you stayed at the apartment with the hopes that uh, they would win if you stayed in the same spot where they had won last night. Uh, just tell us your perspective of the whole game. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was an incredible hockey game. Um, it sucks to lose a game like that. Um, but it was just a typical NCHC dogfight. You, you know, you got North Dakota, Duluth going at it. We knew it was going to be a war. Um Duluth got those two right in the third period. And, and in my mind, I'm like, one, this sucks. And then I'm like, wait, we, we were at the Denver game where they came back and scored a late goal. They came back against cloud and won. there's hope. And then as the time kept ticking away, hope started to fade. And then those two goals that they scored to tie it up. I've never felt that kind of energy before in my entire life, just pure joy and excitement. And then like you said, I mean, the overtimes just blur together. It just felt like one overtime after another. It just felt like they just kept going. We're like, oh, my God, another one and another one. And uh, it, I, in the first overtime and the third, fourth overtime. So the first, the third, and the fourth overtime, I feel like UND was the best team. Um, I feel like they ran them. I felt like they had really good chances. I felt like they were in the offensive zone the majority of the time. They hit. I don't know, three or four pipes. There's a couple of pucks that went through Fanti and Stayskull. Once it, once, when Stayskull was in there, it literally went through his five hole or through his arm and just went by the net. Just plenty of chances. And he, 
in a game like that, it takes one bounce. And if the puck luck's not on your side, it's not on your side. And it just wasn't on our side um, that night. And who was that? Weatherby, right? That hit Fanti's shoulder and went on top of the net. If that's half an inch lower, it's game over. We're talking in a totally different tone going to the Frozen Four. Um, yeah, it's just sad. I mean, it's going to take a long time to heal. It's probably until next September or October. But, I mean, five overtimes, I think Duluth was the only team in this tournament that beats UND. It just sucks we had to play them in the regional. Yeah, and obviously on on Sioux Hockey Twitter and, and NCAA Hockey Twitter in general, there's been a lot of, I guess, UND fans making excuses. Uh, stuff like, oh, we had to play the night before or we had to play Duluth in the regional. I, I get all of those uh, problems. But also at the same time, like the hockey gods just said no. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jackson Keene had that that knee drop one-timer that goes right off the pad. If that's a half an inch higher, the game's over. You said the weather be, if it's a half an inch lower, the game's over. Sanderson hits the pipe. Like it, it just, it physically just, the hockey gods said no. We are understandably upset about the outcome of the game, but I don't think there's really any blame that can go anywhere for the outcome of the game. I think that it was just, it was just a classic hockey game. It, it could have went either way. U- UMD should have won the game in the first overtime. They, they scored a goal, a clean goal, and it was an inch off sides. It's a game of inches. It's uh, obviously incredibly heartbreaking, but to anybody out there trying to make an excuse, just don't. And I think don't, I think it's harder to, to accept the fact that we lost because we did kind of run them. Like I felt like we were the better team throughout the entirety of the game. Obviously the second period and maybe the second overtime is a different story, but it's so hard to accept the fact that we lost that game when we were the better team for the majority of the game. It just takes one bounce in the fifth overtime legs are tired and a weird puck comes in on shield and it goes in. It's just, it's just hockey. The best team doesn't always win, boys. We know yep. that. The best team doesn't always win, but we tried to do our part. Uh, we were doing some superstitions, as you saw on Twitter. We had the rally caps going. We were all sitting in the same place we sat the previous night. We tried doing our part, but uh, in the end, it wasn't enough. The boys uh, weren't able to finish it off. And uh, as you said, Tyler, you mentioned it to Dave, too. Uh, it's just sad that Duluth was in our same regional, because I agree with you. I think they're the only team in the tournament that could have beaten us. Uh, They go on to face UMass in the Frozen Four, and then it's Mankato versus St. Cloud in the Frozen Four. Uh, So that'll be fun to watch, but it's definitely, I'd be much more excited if Grand Forks, we had that same vibe that we saw, Connor and I saw downtown last weekend. But but regardless, uh, I think it's time to move on. Uh, Any last comments about that game before we move on to early departures? I just think that going forward, uh, it's going to take some rebuilding, like for fans, right? trying to recover from this five overtime game and in a team that we was probably by far the best team that I've seen at school. And I don't know about you guys, you guys have been watching this team your whole life. Um, Probably one of the greatest teams of all time uh, in North Dakota history. I mean, Starman touched on it. He said at least top 10 and to, to go out like that, it, it sucks. It really does. And I, I really hope that they can figure out a way to get back in that same position next year. Yeah, I don't know if we can uh, call them the greatest team of all time. They didn't finish the job, but regardless, they still won the Penrose. They still won the NCAA NCHC tournament. Uh, they gave us some memories that we can hold on to. Uh, Connor, you had something you wanted to say? 
Yeah, first of all, just backing off of, of that comment you just made, we, we did win the Penrose and we also won the NCHC tournament. That's, that's definitely something to be excited about. That's definitely a milestone that number one, we've never won the NCHC tournament before. So that's huge. And then the second thing I, I would, was going to say was that um, while they didn't finish the job and Tyler said, this has to be one of the better hockey teams of all time. UND fans are resilient. We've had heartbreak multiple times. I mean, Boston college took our hearts out of our chests. However many times from the age that I was seven to 11 years old, I remember where I was at when Minnesota scored with 0.6 seconds left. I mean, there's, it's just, and not to mention last year with COVID and everything and all the high hopes, we're a resilient fan base. We rightfully so are very sad about the outcome of the game, but at the same time, once October rolls around, it's almost like a complete reboot and everybody almost forgets it's, it's Sioux hockey. Uh, Dave Starman said that Grand Forks and North Dakota are the Alabama of college hockey. And we will continue to be that we're going to, we're going to get into departures and kind of who's coming in here later on in the episode, but we're going to be good next year. Like there's no doubt about that. So I think that uh, we kind of take this one on the chin. We let it hurt. Obviously the boys are, are going to do the same and they're going to come back even stronger next year. I got a good feeling about it. Yeah, we're going to rebuild. And, uh, you know, it's a good time of the year to have heartbreak. The weather's starting to get nice. The courses are starting to open up. So, uh, yeah, it's and in general, it's just uh, amazing that we were part of that game. Tyler, I remember you telling me that your parents were in Florida and they saw highlights of the game on local TV down there. Spit and Chicklets talked about it. I mean, Connor, you tweeted out that night that uh, having a game of that quality is just great for college hockey and growing the game, which I 100% agree with. And, uh, it's sad that we didn't end out on top, but I'm also going to make this comment, which might be a hot take for Sioux Light listeners. Uh, yeah, UND might be the Alabama of fan bases, but I think we might have to start calling Duluth the Alabama of college hockey. I mean, they're winning it every year, right? Is, is that a hot comment to make? I mean, they're going for their third straight national championship. No, not at all. I, I completely agree with you. They're definitely been the, the power horse and, and they don't, they're not one of those teams that is like a wired wire team like UND's 2016 was or 2016 team was, or this year's team was kind of a wire to wire, just consensus best team in college hockey. Duluth just finds a way. I mean, you got to attribute that to coaching and stuff like that, but uh, we've had multiple conversations about rivalries in our apartment. And <clears throat> I think that uh, obviously the Sioux Gopher rivalry will hold up, but the the UMD UND rivalry was now cemented in history on Saturday. Whenever they meet this fall, it is going to be an absolute battle because the Grand Forks boys are going to be out for blood and UMD knows it. And that's going to be one hell of a game. But at the same time as that, as much as we hate the Gophers, I think that there's a lot more respect for Duluth in the way they play the game. One thing I noticed from that overtime, granted the refs weren't going to call anything anyway in overtime. There was definitely some stick infractions that everybody got away with, but notice how both teams were incredibly disciplined after the whistle. There was no scrums in that game whatsoever. There really wasn't. There wasn't hatred. It was of just, it was a all time college hockey, just respectful. Like we're going to shove it down your throats with skill and speed and physicality. And you're going to do the same. And as soon as that UMD uh, 
kid scored. I think it was Milnick or Milnock, whatever. He was like a fourth line beauty. Scored that goal. The the Duluth boys were up patting the North Dakota boys on the back and vice versa. That was just a mad respect. As a fan of hockey, you have to love that sportsmanship. And I'm really looking forward to these two teams meeting again next fall. College hockey forever. College hockey forever. Our friends over at the Lockdown Senators podcast tweeted that, and I can't agree with it more. Just you can't beat sun death hockey. These were just kids out there playing, right, Tyler? These are just yeah. kids, and they were just laying kids. it all up. They were just laying it all on the line out there. Uh, kids that are really good at hockey, but yeah, they're just kids. Yeah, speaking of kids that are really good at hockey, Tyler, thanks for that transition. I think we can move on. Uh, today is April Fool's Day, April 1st, and uh, we've seen a mass exodus of UND hockey players leaving the program and signing pro. I think uh, it would be easiest if we don't, so we don't forget anybody if just each of us list some guys. So the guys today that signed Pinto, JBD, they both signed with the Senators. They're both joining the uh, Senators NHL team right away. And then Kierstead signed with the Panthers. Fuchs, who else am I missing who have signed prior to today? Gooch. Gooch. Gooch yeah, is uh, the Dallas Stars. Dallas Stars, but I think he's reporting to their AHL team right away. Yeah, he signed uh, a one-year entry-level deal, so uh, he I don't think he's even eligible to play for the Stars until next year. Uh, the rest yeah. of the guys I just mentioned, they're joining the <laughs> NHL team right away. But uh, we kind of expected JBD to leave. Uh, we were holding out hope that maybe Pinto would can't come back. Uh, but either way, it hurts to see Pinto lose because we saw Tim Hennessy on uh, Twitter earlier saying that he had heard reports that Sanderson and Pinto were coming back. Also breaking news, we're also hearing that uh, Jake Sanderson is returning to UND for a sophomore mm-hmm. season, which is terrific. You know, it's never too early to start looking ahead. And uh, right now, Sanderson coming back, Clevin coming back, Frisch coming back. It looks like the blue line is going to be the strength of this team. Haven't heard Again. anything regarding Shield. Yep. So uh, the back end is going to be the strength. Uh, up front, losing Pinto hurts a lot, but we still maintain guys like Weatherby, uh, Hain, uh, send in among others. So Tyler, I just want to, yeah, gate. Yep. Gaber, Gaber. Exactly. Hobie Gaber. How can we forget about him? The nail gun, uh, Tyler, why don't you come in here and tell me what you expect from the guys who signed NHL deals, uh, what you expect to see from them, uh, once they hit the NHL ice. Well, I'm really excited to see Matt Kirsted play in the NHL. Um, older guy going to the Florida Panthers team who is surprisingly really good this year. Um, and then with Aaron Ekblad, you know, he's going to be out for the year. They're kind of really good defensemen down there. I think he plays a similar style as Ekblad did, you know, a fast um, physical and moves a puck up the ice really well. And I think Kirstead can move into that role. I, w- I don't want to say seamlessly, but I think he's going to be the easiest fit um, in that role in the NHL. Um, obviously Pinto is ob- another great pick. He, he's, I feel like he can go into the, an NHL game right away. And I'm really excited that Jake Sanderson um, came back. It, you saw on his Instagram story, um, he posted a picture of Pinto leaving and it was, you know, I'm going to miss you bro or something. So it, it's pretty confirmed that Sanderson is going to stay, but you know, you kind of knew what guys were leaving. Um, but I'm glad that, like the guys you listed, Hain and Gaber, and um, I'm drawing a blank on everybody else, but it looks good. It looks really good going for the future. A guy that I want to keep my eye on going into next year, and I'm going to be singing his praises all summer. I have the guy in mind is Harrison Blaisdell. I think he's a high-level skilled player, and he's had a couple years in the system, and I expect him to come and make a difference right away next year. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you, Tyler. Um, the the guys that signed, I don't think any any bit of it was a surprise. Obviously, we were holding out hope for Pinto, but we never really held our breath too long. Kind of figured he was gone. I think JBD is going to be – he's probably the most NHL-ready player on the team, uh, especially just based on what I've read about from people who actually know what they're talking about, is that as soon as JBD gets out of that quarantine and he's in that Senators lineup – he's, he's going to get tossed in right away and they're going to, they're going to utilize him as soon as possible. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that Matt Kierstead going to Florida is awesome for multiple reasons. Number one, I think Matt Kierstead, while people who follow hockey real closely know who Matt Kierstead is, but I would assume that a majority of people in South Florida have no clue before he signed. And, um, I think that he's going to surprise a lot of people there. He's going to have a few games where people are like, Holy cow, who is this guy? You know, like, why haven't I heard about him before? And then my second thing about Matt Kierstead going to the Florida Panthers is he, he did that little sonk move against, uh, against Duluth, <sighs> the, the fake slap pass behind the net. There's a very good chance that we see like a double, maybe even a triple song from Keith Yandel and Matt Kierstead on the back end, just passing the puck back and forth to each other. <laughs> There's a very good chance that we see that. And that is going to be hilarious to see. I want to see Matt Kierstead pull the song just so he's all over chicklets. And they're saying that he's like the second coming of Keith Yandel. And if Matt Kierstead has three half three quarters of career of Keith Yandel, that's a success because that guy has been in the league forever. And then, so I want to propose a question. Sorry, Fuchs. I want to propose a question for you guys. Um, who do you think out of the three guys that signed today, we got Pinto, JBD, Kirstead, um, who, which one of those three guys is going to have the longest career, the best career in the NHL? Obviously we're hoping that they all play a thousand games and win three Stanley cups each, but who's the guy that you're like, this guy is an NHL caliber player right away. JBD. JBD. JBD without a doubt. I think out of those three, if you, if I had to put my money on someone, it'd be JBD just cause he's so sound. He's got that offensive skill, but like we've mentioned before on the podcast, he's, he's almost invisible on the back end. That's what you need out of a defenseman. Obviously I think Kierstead and Pinto are going to have tremendous careers and we've talked multiple times, Tyler. I know you think that Pinto is going to have a thousand game career in the NHL, which hopefully is uh, I don't want to jinx anything, maybe knock on some wood on that, but uh yeah, I think JBD is probably the most NHL-ready player out of out of all the guys that have signed. I would agree with you, Fuchs. He looks like an NHL defenseman. He looked like it all year. I'm just going to disagree with you just for the uh, just for the fate of content here. I'm going to say Pinto. Uh, I, I would agree with Tyler. I believe he has all the makings of being having a very lengthy career in the NHL. Um, and we've talked about it a lot. I mean, he just plays a 200 foot game, including in the face off circle defensively neutral zone. He's positionally sound uh, and he can finish, right? He's just a really good player. There's a re uh, we didn't even bring it up. He's a Hobie Hattrick finalist, him, Cole Caulfield, Dryden McKay are all up for the Hobie, uh, Hobie Baker award this year. So hopefully he can win it. Uh, it appears that Caulfield might win it unanimously, but I think uh, Pinto is a more all around player. And I think that will lead to him having a very lengthy NHL career. What do you think, Tyler? Yeah, I think I like Pinto. Obviously, I, I said it before that I think he'll have a thousand game career in the NHL. Just like you, all the reasons you said, plus he doesn't turn the puck over. At least he didn't in college. Like you watch him play and every time he has a puck, he's making the right play with it. He's either eating it in the boards and getting it to somebody. He's making a pass or he's taking a shot. He doesn't turn the puck over. 
And that's what you need to do in the NHL is just not turn the puck over and then finish when you get your opportunities. And, and Pinto has all the makings to do that. I think JBD is a great choice. I think he'll play a thousand games in the NHL too. I think the senators are going to be loaded. Um, let's say three, four years when, when you get Sanderson in there as well. But um, I don't know. Kirsten's a great player. Uh, they're all great players. They really are. Um, obviously you talked about the Hobie hat trick, Cole Caulfield. Sure. I mean, sick. You saw what the big 10 did in the playoffs. I think I could score 30 and 30 in the big 10. So good for him. But, and I, and I remember I said on an earlier episode, remember when I said I wanted Oklahoma Cole Caulfield? Yep. I still want to. I all still right, well, want to. That league is not physical at all. If we could set that up, I would absolutely love the Oklahoma, the future uh, Hobie Baker Award winner. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong there. And uh, Shane Pinto ends up winning the award. Dryden McKay obviously has the credentials to be considered for that award as well. Uh, but let's move on. Uh, Brad, no, I got Go one ahead. thing. You guys know what the you guys know what the best thing about JBD and Sanderson being in the Senators program mm-hmm. is? Is that every time that they play a good game just means that Johnny Tyconic has less of a chance of playing in the NHL. Exactly, right? He's another Senators pick. He's another Senators pick. And you know what? He played at UND and we, we liked him. And, you know, you can respect a guy for wanting to transfer out. I don't. But uh, that guy's a clown. He's uh, every man needs a rival. I'm Johnny Tyconic's rival. When he played at UND, he made a just absolute clown show of himself. And hopefully, he c- I'm assuming he's coming back next year. And I can't wait to have a full barn yelling at him and absolutely just living in his head. Red. Uh, speaking of transfers, another excellent transition. This is going to be a mouthful here. The three C's out of CC, Copeland, Conzo, and Cruikshank are all transferring out after head coach Mike Havlin got fired. Uh, we talked about this with Starman, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But uh, with a lot of players leaving UND, you got to hope they snipe at least one experienced player. Bowling Green had some of their 100 uh, career point uh, getters decided to forego their senior season and go play elsewhere. Uh, maybe St. Thomas University, the new Division One program, is going to build up their team completely on transfers. Who knows how it's all going to shake out? But very interesting. Uh, Tyler, I want to know what your thoughts are on just a completely new landscape in terms of transfers in college hockey. Yeah, it's like free agency, right? It's super exciting. It, it's like free agency. And but I think it's even more exciting than like NHL free agency, because now these kids can tour campuses and they can see what campus has the hottest chicks and who parties the hardest and then they can go play there. And I think that UND is obviously a uh, great choice for that because one you got the Ralph and two you got the bars I mean how can you beat it so I would assume that they get at least one hopefully two or three of these high level we'll call them free agents quote unquote or transfers um that Cruikshank from CC is, is going to be a great great guy uh <clears throat> I don't know it's, it's it's super exciting it's the off season right we're not gonna have much to talk about until October rolls around but it'll be exciting to watch and one more guy that I want to keep our eye on um here in the coming days and weeks is going to be Adam Scheel. He's an interesting um, situation where I'm sure that there are some NHL teams that need secondary goaltending. And the team that I think about that comes to mind is a Colorado avalanche. I feel like he would fit seamlessly with them. Hopefully he doesn't go, but um, yeah. Fucking you weasel. I remember you snapped in our group (laughs) the other day saying shield of Colorado. And I believed you, but it was just you speculating that he was going to the avalanche. You get, you got me there. Pierce but, but if he does end up going to the avalanche, I want all the credit. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. If he goes to Avalanche, I'll give you the credit. Just so our listeners know the other day, Tyler, before any of the players even signed, Tyler just puts in our group chat, Shields to the Avalanche. And me and Fuse are both <laughs> like, oh, what? We're not seeing this anywhere. He's like, no, that's just what I think is going to happen. So that's crazy. Hopefully he stays. Peter Tome, uh, speaking of goalies, he uh, has entered the transfer portal. And uh, you got to think that if if uh, Shield decides to sign a professional contract, Tommy, uh, it's not all the realm of possibility that uh, he decides to come back to UND and be the guy. Uh, Fuchs, do you have any thoughts on the transfer portal before we do our medals? Yeah, I was just going to mention that about Tommy. I think that uh, obviously if Shield comes back, um, I got nothing wrong with with our friend Peter Tommy trying to look elsewhere and, and take a starting job because he is a number one goaltender in college hockey without a doubt. And if Shield decides to go play pro hockey, I am very comfortable with Peter Tomia being our starting goaltender next year and making a run at it with him. He's he's very he's more than capable goaltender. And then uh, one thing that I thought though was um, for this college hockey free agency transfer portal stuff that's so weird is Tyler mentioned like yeah you're gonna tour campuses for like. Um, like girls and partying and bars and everything like that. And how could you say no to the Ralph? Like, it's just, it's an unbelievable atmosphere, but uh, you guys might think I'm a weird guy for this thought. I want your opinion, but how much do you think that academics comes into a factor of guys picking where they want to go to school? Like, I know we talked to Weston and he transferred to UND and his reasoning was obviously, yeah, UND is awesome hockey wise but he had like a majorly academic reason for getting his master's degree like how much do you think that academics actually play into how some of these guys are going to choose where they want to go to school and play hockey next year i'm sure it plays a factor uh, maybe five to ten percent yeah, yeah no i depending mean depending on how good the player is obviously right like if it's a guy who knows that he's going to sign a professional contract uh, he might not care as much but if you got some guy who's riding the uh, third, fourth line, uh, maybe he's looking into some degrees where he can advance his professional career. Fuchs, yeah. I have a question for you about the transfer portal. So when you left Aquinas College, did you officially enter the portal? Uh, no, I got kicked out of my dorm room with 24 hours notice because of COVID. And then uh, I just um, texted my coach and said, hey, I'm, I'm transferring to UND to play intramural hockey. Uh, it's, so it you was, have been through the portal. Uh, yeah, you could say that you could say that I've, I've transferred. If you, I, I don't even really think like, I, I mean, I transferred, you got to get your, your academic, uh, what do they call it? Your progress report, your, your transcript, you got to get that sent in. So, I mean, there, there's a little bit of behind the scenes work outside of hockey when you transfer into school. But, uh, uh, unfortunately when I entered the transfer portal, nobody was looking for a six, five defenseman that, uh, is kind of a rough skater and didn't get to play any games last year. So, um, you've but, been through the eye of the portal, man. You've been through the, eye <laughs> of the portal more than Tyler and I can say, but, uh, the club, that, ho- the club hockey portal. Yeah. You could call it that. Yeah. We got club hockey playoffs coming up. Uh, that's very interesting. Fuchs, I know you get very uh, bricked up about that. So you want to just give us a 30 second preview of the ACHA tournament? Uh, yeah, I think Adrian's going to absolutely run through it with their eyes closed and win it, but there's going to be some good games involved in there. Uh, Aquinas plays Iowa State. That'll be a good game. That's There's a lot of uh, NA3HL Frontier Division boys alum playing in that game. That'll be that'll be a good time. Uh, I think uh, our home, my hometown, University of Jamestown, plays Indiana Tech. 
Uh, as much as I don't like the University of Jamestown, I will root for them against Indiana Tech just because they're the biggest rivals of Aquinas. And I was a dash seven against them last year. So that's my rundown of uh, of the Acha National Tournament. But yeah, Adrian's going to win it. Thank dash seven is rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, that's why we only had seven games played in the league, boys. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, club hockey is still college hockey, and uh, we still got some North Dakota college hockey teams still competing yet this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we get into a lot with uh, Dave Starman, but before we throw it over to him, let's do a gold medal draft. Uh, try not to tear up, boys. Maybe grab the, grab the Kleenexes. Uh, it's time to talk about our favorite memories from this past season. Uh, let's do the tradi- traditional draft order. Let's go Fuchs, T-Rad, me, snake it around. Fuchs, start us off. What was your favorite moment from last year? Uh, this Saturday, Gooch scores the second goal to tie it up. And there was five grown men in our apartment that were on the verge of tears, but were also smiling. Uh, I apologize to our neighbors downstairs. If they weren't, if they were watching the game, they get it. If they weren't, they were like, what the hell is going on? Cause it was absolute bedlam. And I thought that the floor was going to break out from underneath us. So that's by far, uh, not only one of my favorite memories of, uh, of that, of this season, but that's probably going to be a memory that I will remember for the rest of my life from college. Yeah, that's a good one there, Fuchsie. I got to go with uh, frozen face-off semifinals against Denver. Pinto slash Weatherby tying it up late. Um, then Gavin Hain getting the game winner. Absolute electric in that building. I mean, it felt like a full building. And um, when I look back on this season, that's what I'm going to remember is, is being in the Ralph when that when that puck goes in. And we were right, right by the net, too. Yeah, that was a good game. Uh, interesting choice of you to choose the semifinal game over the championship. My first pick is going to be the NCHC Frozen Faceoff Championship game. Uh, just them raising that unnamed cup in front of its home crowd. Uh, you got to imagine that's a moment that uh, those players are going to remember for a long time. And I know for a fact that I will. It was a very special moment uh, being with some friends and family. I really appreciated it. And uh, that was probably my favorite moment from this season. Uh, my second favorite moment, I'm going to throw it to the first game in the Ralph. First game in the Ralph against Colorado College. I remember walking in, smelling the almonds, bricked up. Just a heck of a memory, and uh, hopefully we can get back to a full barn next year. And I w- that was going to—I thought you were going to take the Penrose. I'll take the Penrose, but I want to touch on yours. That was a game when they like we all stood up and ch- cheered for Jake Sanderson and Tyler Clev, and we all started chanting USA because they won the World Juniors that year. That's right. That's yeah. that's what sticks out in my memory for that game. But yeah, I'll take the Penrose against Omaha, the seven-two win, absolute dusting, and then. Um, you know, you got the five guys in the box. I was right in front of us in the student section. We were all bundled at the game and yelling at all the guys. And that was another great memory at the Ralph this year. So did you just take the Penrose or did you just take the scrap? Cause I'm going to take one of those two and you need to decide. Fuck. I'll take the Penrose. You take the scrap. All right. I'm taking the scrap when Bass was just feeding pro cop Tyconics getting double teamed and screaming at the fans and everybody's just feeding him about his ex-girlfriend and, and everything else uh that was definitely a an all-time memory from this year and uh i think even when you watch the video people can just see how big of a clown johnny tyconic is if you haven't figured it out by now i don't like that guy never met him but i just don't like him like one bit not at all and then for my final pick i am going to go with uh i'm gonna go off of the hockey sense we're, we're talking about this season i'm gonna go back and say the the closing that Alex Heiner did on during the pod 
I'm going to say that that was probably one of my favorite moments, not because of the premise of like, obviously that they pulled off the pod was awesome. The reason that they had to do the pod was not awesome because of COVID. But uh, when I look back at this season and memories, I think Alex Heinert closing it out and thanking everybody for doing what only the NCHC was able to do this year in all of college athletics was, uh, was pretty spectacular. Yeah, that, that's two good choices, Fuchs. I got to go with the pod opening against Miami, the 2 nothing shutout win in the pod. Um, <clears throat> there was so much uncertainty going into the pod. Nobody really knew um, how the, like, the weeks going up to it, is it going to happen? What happens if this happens? And it went out seamlessly for the most part. And just to see North Dakota play hockey on December 2nd, um, get that 2 nothing win against Miami. I mean, it was, we were off and running. Is uh, JBD and Weatherby taking a knee part of your pick? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, okay. I guess you don't uh, respect freedom, but whatever. Uh, my pick, I'm going to go with uh, to close out the draft. I am going to say one of my favorite moments before the season even started, that weasel Mitchell Miller getting kicked off the team. That was a storyline before the season. Hey! Even oh, <laughs> that was a storyline before the season even started. The guy was a bully to some uh, handicapped people, not something we support here at Sioux light. And uh, we're happy that he got kicked out of the program. Uh, but yeah, that's before the season even started. I'm sure I could have thought of some more on the ice stuff, but uh, at the time, all I can think about is the five overtime game. And it just makes me sad thinking about uh, that bully Mitchell Miller getting kicked off the team makes me happy. So that's, that's my last pick in the draft. And I just want to make sure that I, de- I thought you were going to take the players kneeling. So I backed away from it. So yes, the, the, I love that uh, Weatherby and JBD took a knee during the national anthem. Hey boys, we respect I, the decision, but Republicans I, listen to podcasts too. hundred <laughs> percent respect it and love that decision. So yeah, get away from the political talk. Yeah, that's, that's enough on that. I mean, as Fuchs just uh, briefly said, uh, Republicans listen to podcasts too. Uh, we are <laughs> apolitical on this podcast, but uh, hey, they did what they did, and I respect them for it for doing it in a state like North Dakota. But uh, with that being said, we've rambled on. What a season it has been, Suley's. Uh, I don't really have a classic sign-off for the season because there is more to come. We got more fun interviews to come. Uh, we're not done yet. Okay. We're going to keep bringing you uh, Sioux hockey content, even during the off season, what that looks like. We're not exactly sure yet, but uh, Fuchs, do you have any last words on the season? Yeah. Send it to Devo? Yeah. Number one, obviously um, I just want to thank the, our listeners. We've kind of grown to a point where we're not massive, but we're a lot bigger than we thought we were going to be. And uh, I want to, I want to thank everybody who's tuned in, who listens, who's bought our merch, who interacts with us on Twitter. We're just three knuckleheads that live in an apartment. We love hockey. And the fact that some people kind of come to us for, for their news is, is pretty spectacular. So thank you, Sulis. And then backing off what Sam said, we're not done. We love making podcasts. We love talking to guys from, from the past and, uh, and current guys and all sorts of interviews. It, it's honestly more fun for us than I think it is for you guys to listen to. So uh, uh, we're going to keep the content rolling. We got a few ideas in the brain, maybe something to do with uh, Sue Light X Nashville in the fall. Like who knows, we might, we might have to make that work, but uh, there's a lot more to come. We're not going to be done because the Sioux hockey season's done. And uh yeah. Tyler? Well said, Fuchsy. I mean, I just want to say thanks to everybody that's listening and following us on Twitter. It's amazing where this stupid podcast has gone. I mean, it really is how, like how many people listen, how many people follow us on Twitter. So just thanks, Sulis, and 
And um, yeah, I, we got more podcasts coming and just listen to us. And I hope that uh, we t- we're not too uh, annoying to listen to. Yeah, we, as Tyler said, quote unquote, we got more podcasts coming. So just listen to us. With that being said, please enjoy our interview with Coach David Starband. Coach! <laughs> hey, Sulis. After a night downtown cheering on our beloved UND men's hockey team and hanging with friends, there is no other way to end your night than with a nice Deeks pizza. Get your pizza fix or kick it up a notch with one of the five bold wing flavors by ordering from our personal favorite late night joint. Our friends at Deeks Pizza are giving our Sioux Light listeners free delivery on all online orders. Use the promo code LIGHT at checkout. That's promo code L-I-T-E at checkout for free delivery. Go to www.deekspizza.com to get your fix. Also, don't forget to give Deeks a follow on Instagram and TikTok for chances to win free Deeks Pizza and merch. God bless Sioux Hockey and God bless Deeks Pizza. All right, Sulis, today we welcome a very special guest, yet another guest that really needs no introduction. Uh, Dave Starman, welcome to Sioux Light. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about North Dakota hockey. Yeah, North Dakota hockey, we know we have a special place in your heart for it. Uh, you always go out of your way to give a shout out and say how special the fans are to you. I think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't start. Uh, just last weekend, you were on the call with Leah Hextall and Fargo for the Midwest Regional called two games should have been three but uh let's start with the five overtime thriller um uh, what was it like calling that game uh could you really see the energy level drop as the game went on uh you would imagine that it's just like a once in a lifetime call for you have you ever called the game that went that long uh, i'll tell you what in terms of energy level i i the, there was one person's energy level i was really concerned about that night to be honest with you and it was mine and just just making sure that I stayed with it. And because, you know, the fans are glued on every play and you know that these two fan bases, Minnesota, Duluth and North Dakota, these are two incredibly passionate fan bases with a lot of history. They love their team. They love this rivalry and they love good hockey. And you just want to make sure of a couple of things. Number one is you don't want to get in the way of the game. You don't want to talk down to them at this point. You don't want to see elementary. I am, I'm aware that We've probably got an Eastern audience that doesn't see these teams a lot. I'm aware that you've probably got an NHL audience that's tuning in because it might be the only game on at that point, you know, with that late in the evening. So you you know that it's not just the NCHC audience and you know that it's not just North Dakota and Minnesota Duluth audience. But still, to me, the audience that I was talking to were those two fan bases first and foremost because as that game went on, that game mattered more to those two fan bases than anybody. So I tried to make sure that I tailored everything to those fans first and then everybody else second so that was kind of plan number one and in terms of the the energy level of the game like I, I I know that anytime you get into a long overtime scenario generally past the second one the first five minutes or so of those overtimes will be pretty good and then they settle in and then it's where can you take advantage without putting yourself at a disadvantage then you've got periods where you've got the long change versus the short change so teams will be a little bit more conservative in terms of how long their shift lengths are so you, you do see a little bit of an energy level drop. and But I thought that for the most part, that game was pretty competitive, pretty contested, and not a lot of loose pucks were just sitting there with one team saying, okay, you know what, you deal with it, we're, we're done. And then I've never done a game that long. I mean, that was, to me, wild. And there were a couple of really cool things as that game went on. Number one, I remember watching the Easter epic between the Islanders and the Capitals in 87. I was a huge Islander fan back then. And thinking to myself, how cool it would be to be involved in a game that went that long. And I 
I've talked to Mike Emmerich about that game when, when he's, when he called it and some of his memories about it. And, and I've listened to Jack Parker tell me a lot of stories about that four overtime game that Boston university played against St. Lawrence in the eighties during the NCAA regionals. And all I kept thinking to myself was, boy, do I now have a story for them because I've heard their story so many times about those long overtimes and they were a game, especially that Ireland game that meant a lot to me. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm in that unique position where, you know, where I've got that same story to tell. And, the other cool thing was Steve Levy, who's an old friend of mine, texted me right around the middle of the fourth overtime to say, hey, welcome to history and, and see if you can get to the fifth one so you can get into my club with the five overtimes. And when we did, that was kind of a cool moment. Yeah, I mean, that game was, was crazy. I mean, it started all kind of slow, right, 0-0. Zero, zero, and, then, and then Duluth got two right away. And it felt like um, us as North Dakota fans, we've been there before. We saw it in the frozen face off the comeback win against Denver and the comeback win against Cloud. And we knew that we were going to get one. It was what were we going to get two, right? So when North Dakota ended up tying it up and going into overtime, we we felt good about it. We felt like we've been there before. But as the overtimes went, kind of dragged on and dragged on, I think as us fans, we kind of lost hope a little bit. After that first overtime, did you have an inkling like this could go on forever because these teams are so evenly matched? Nobody's really getting great looks anymore. Um, everybody's kind of pretty tired. It's a, it's a good question. The funny, I thought about it. I and I said this to, to Jake Brandt last night on a phone call. I said, every time North Dakota crossed the offensive blue line, I had the sneaky feeling they were about to score, but I just think they're that dangerous. And every time UMD would cross the zone, I would say to myself, they're good. They're going to get a, they're going to get a look here, but who's going to convert? Like I, to me, the quicker strike team in some cases was North Dakota. And I also felt like at some point they were going to be over to overwhelm UMD defensively just because of how well they swarm offensively on the other hand stay school was great and I thought the untold story of this game in a lot of ways was the Bulldogs defense corps and it's it's I don't want to say it's a no-name defense corps but it's it's a little unheralded and it's not the defense corps of Perunovic and Sandberg and Mikey Anderson and Dylan Wolf I mean that was that was some top four and Wolfie not being a scorer was such an impact player every time he was on the ice so this is a different group and I thought that they really, really handled themselves well, especially losing Connor Kelly, who's been among their better defensemen over the last couple of weeks. Kelly went out with an injury in the third period and, and didn't play the rest of the way. So I, it, it's funny, like as that game went on, I did sense it was going to end earlier. And after North Dakota came out guns blazing early on in that first overtime, I got those quick chances. I, I just had a feeling that they were going to sneak one. But it's, it is just amazing, the stick-to-itiveness, the discipline, and the calm that Minnesota Duluth has. And we've talked about that a lot. And to me, that game manifested it. Yeah, absolutely. And Coach Sandlin at Duluth, he runs his program like a well-oiled machine. He does have a UND connection, so we'll cling on to that a little bit as much as we can. <laughs> but uh, the big story in the Fargo Regional, even before the five-overtime game, was that Michigan caught the virus, caught COVID, and their game was disqual or their game was a no contest to Duluth. Obviously, there were some UND fans that were upset about that, saying they had to play two games in two nights and it's whatever. And we'll, that'll go on for years and years on excuses and excuses. But what was your view of how Duluth looked in their first game of the tournament versus UND playing their second game and then going on that marathon? Do you think that played in to, as a factor at all? Oh, I think there's no question that th there was a bit of a, fat a fatigue factor for North Dakota is that overtime kept wearing on based on the fact that they had played the night before. But, and I say this with no disrespect to AIC, their head coach is a former player of mine. 
I say there's no disrespect to them, but when North Dakota took a 4-0 lead in that game, they were able to roll four lines and not have to physically tax most of their guys like they would have if that game was 2-2 heading into the third when they would have had to shorten their bench to find a win. So I, I do think it balanced out just a little bit there. I mean, Shield was busy, but he wasn't incredibly busy. They were tested, but they weren't tested in a way where they had to go to the ringer and really gut one out. And I mean, I thought AIC made some pushes, but for the most part, I thought North Dakota was in control of that game. So they, they were able to manage the minutes of their key players and their key players' minutes weren't heavy, emotional, physically battering minutes. And they play a little bit different in the East than they do in the West in terms of how they defend. They don't defend with the same give a piece of skin mentality as the Western teams do. So I, I do think it was a lighter game on them than it might have been if they had played somebody else. But there's no question that the fact that they played a night game and that had to come back and play another night game where they played two and a half games, it, there's, there was absolutely a factor. But to, to their credit, I don't think they tailed off all that much either. And whether or not they had played the night before or not, I mean, that'll be up to debate forever. But you can make a case that their fatigue factor probably hurt them. Yeah, both teams were fatigued, right? I mean, one can say that UND played three games in two nights, right? And the fatigue factor even came into Duluth. We saw State School exit, uh, I believe it was the fourth overtime. But I want to go back to Fuchs mentioned the Michigan COVID issue. Uh, How did you find that out? I mean, it was hours before the game that it was uh, all of us found out through a Brad Schlossman tweet. How did you find it out? And uh, I would imagine that you were prepping for that game and that kind of came as a, you know, a shell shock to you. How did you find out and how soon did you have to move on to preparing for the next game and uh, coming up with storylines for uh, Michigan having to have a no contest? Oh, this is a good one. So I, I had been in the gym in the morning and then I'd done a lot of prep and I was getting ready to, oh, there's Shireen ringside as she walks past us. <laughs> uh, I was getting ready to, to start getting dressed to go to the game and Jake Brandt texts me. And he texted me and Ben Holden. And he said, hey, hearing Michigan is out. Now, this is before I hit Twitter. So hearing Michigan is out. And I texted him back. I haven't heard a word. I'll let you know what I hear. And then I dismissed it and kind of went back to get myself together. And then I said, okay, you know what? Let me check Twitter, see what's going on here. So I checked Twitter and there's starting to be some rumblings. Hearing Michigan is out. So like yourselves, I mean, until I hear it from Schlossman, when it comes to stuff like that, I didn't hear it. So I called Brad and I'm like, Hey, Schloss, what's going on with Michigan? He goes, they're out. And I said, excuse me? Like, I was figuring, I'm checking on it. I'm looking at it. They're out. I went, you got to be kidding. And so he said, I don't have a ton of details. I just know that they are packing a bus and they are leaving. So I said, okay, great. We schmoozed for a couple of minutes. And then I called my producer. Now, I had been emailing Leah Hextall, my play-by-play partner, my producer, Mike Principato. And I said, hey, I'm starting to hear some rumors about Michigan being out, I'll keep you posted. And neither one of them had heard anything. As a matter of fact, being that Shireen has been my longtime, well, not only my longtime wife, but my longtime broadcast partner, I know what the hour and a half before you leave for the rink looks like when you're a female, and it has nothing to do with checking Twitter. So I figured Leah was not dialed in on this at all because she was probably getting ready to go. And I called her, and I'm like, have you checked your email or your text? She goes, no. I said, well, if you're getting ready, stop. Michigan's out. And she laughed. She goes, oh, my God. So then I finally got the call from ESPN saying, yes, the game has officially been been ruled a no contest. So that, that's kind of how I found out. It was a very odd thing. If Jake hadn't texted me, I probably would have gone to the rink and said, where's Michigan? So I, as North Dakota fans, we're going to be kind of consoling ourselves here until the next season starts. And, and a place where I've, I guess, a complaint that I have or not a complaint, but something that I want to see change for the playoff format. I want to get your thoughts on it is maybe remodeling the playoff format so we get the four best teams in the nation in the Frozen Four, and that would be getting um, 
each regional has a team from a different conference, if that's possible. So each regional has a team from the NCHC or the Hockey East or the Big Ten, because I feel, I just want to know what you think about that. Is that even possible? Uh, because having Duluth and UND in the same regional kind of, I don't know, hurt a lot. And you look at some regionals like the Wisconsin regional where Lake State's a three seed there or the the Gopher regional, you got uh, Quinnipiac's a three seed over there. I think that's a, I think that's an interesting point. And a lot of people have talked about it. Now, here's the, here's the thing. It's funny. When I saw the brackets come out, I saw, I knew either St. Cloud State or Minnesota Duluth was going to wind up in Fargo because of the geographic things. And, and depending on seating, it really depended on who won the game between UMD and Cloud in the frozen faceoff. So when, Dul- when UMD lost, I had a funny feeling that they were going to wind up in Fargo also. And I thought to myself, if you're North Dakota, like you work that hard to be that good all season long, and you're going to go to the regional and you're going to get UMD, you know, have fun with that. And that wasn't saying, no, they can't beat him. I'm just saying your road to the frozen four just got a whole lot harder because of that roadblock. And it's, and after the AIC game, you know, I called, you know, Langer and I were talking and he said to me, he goes, I don't think North Dakota is going to lose another game all season. I said, there are two teams that could beat North Dakota. They could beat themselves and they can lose to UMD. And that's really where I feel that their hiccup could, could happen. And in terms of the spreading out the regionals, it goes back to the in bracket integrity type of thing. So the one will always get the 16. The two will always get the 15 unless they're in the same conferences. Now, I am not opposed. I know the coaches are. I am not opposed personally if two conference rivals play in the first round of the regionals. Like, to me, if it happens, it happens. I don't think it's that big a deal. I know the coaches don't want to do it. But I came from a minor league coaching background where we played our division rivals, you know, 18 times a year. So I see this from a from a totally different side. I don't care if you play, keep playing the same team. But – I think what you're saying is, if, can you make sure that we don't put conference rivals in the same brackets throughout the course of the thing? That's where you start to get into where the seedings happen according to the pairwise in a normal year. Like to me, if if North Dakota is the one and a NCHC team winds up being the 16 and the last team in, the one has to play the 16. So, and if it, they want to avoid that first round matchup, then the one fifteen have to be in the same bracket. If they wind up playing in the regional final, they do. I like your idea. I don't think that it could ever happen just based on the fact that we've had a lot of success with the pairwise in terms of getting these matchups set. And I don't think the committee will ever get away from that. Yeah. And obviously this year is, it was so weird, just the subjectivity of the bracket. And we'll talk about that for forever and having to play Duluth and everything that goes along with that. But I want to transition while we're on the conference talk to the pod in Omaha. You were down in the pod in Omaha. Obviously you say you talk with Jake Brandt now a lot. Apparently there was a friendship that was built there. And when we've talked with, with Jake, he's got nothing but good things to say about you, but uh, what, what was your favorite part about the pod? Talk about the pod a little bit and just how kind of cool that was and how it probably will never happen again. No, I don't think it will ever happen again. And it was the most unique of experiences. And there were a lot of great things about it. The, fu- the funniest thing was they were trying to keep the team separated from everybody, which I understood because you had tier one participants, tier two participants, the testing protocols were were a little bit different. But we wound up in North Dakota's hotel because I think technically we were attached as North Dakota television and because we were midco so us and and north dakota the same hotel but everybody else was a different hotels and there was quite the effort to keep the tier ones and the tier twos separated because of the protocols and i and i respected that but i remember calling somebody from the league and saying listen here's the problem if i'm walking down the hallway in the hotel and bradbury is walking towards me am i supposed to like dive into a 
a corner? Am I supposed to run the other way? Like, what do I do? You know, like, so that was, you know, part one of the uniqueness of it is how do you avoid who you're supposed to avoid when literally you're occupying the same space with them. So that was part one of the uniqueness. And we, we kind of all figured out how to socially distance and interact in a, in a good way. The, uh, the, the other couple of cool parts of it were this, it was games generally every day. It was, I felt like I was, I felt like I was scouting again. I felt like I was back in pro hockey again. You had no idea what day it was. You just knew it was game day. And to me, that was really cool. And of this, like of the 18 days that I was there, once we got started, I think like there were two days that I didn't have a game to do. So the routine was really good. You know, you, you do your games, you get back to the hotel, you start to prep for the next day, you work out, whatever. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. So that was kind of cool. Being able to work with Ben for, for 16 games was phenomenal. He, he's such a good play-by-play guy. And he's like a family member to Shereen and I. And, you know, the, the only thing missing was her on those broadcasts because the three of us have become like the three amigos and, and, you know, so I missed that component of it. Being able to work with Ben that amount of games was great. Uh, being able to work with Alex, I thought was terrific. You know, I, I, I knew he was good. I didn't realize how good he was until I actually worked a couple of games with him. He's terrific. And it was, he was such a joy to work with so easy to work with and, and such a pro and then hanging out with Jake and, and he and I've had a long friendship too. I mean, I go back to when he was still playing, that's how long I've known him. So, so that was kind of neat. And, you know, being able to do a game with Donnie Barnes was fine. You know, I, I didn't know Donnie, so that was nice. And, but just the amount of games, the amount of interactions, the amount of phone calls with the coaches, the just being in the same place, the back and forth, the quality of the games. I mean, you, it was just I, I didn't have a complaint. I mean, it was just one of the coolest things I'd ever been a part of. Like I said, the the only thing I was missing was I, it would have been great if we could have had our regular three person crew at Ben Sharina and myself on our games. That was really the, the biggest thing I missed. Yeah, definitely. The NCHC, I mean, it's the only conference in college athletics to pull something like that off. And then Tyler touched earlier about how we don't want to face any NCHC teams in the, uh, <laughs> in the regionals. And, uh, you know, you call uh, NCHC games for CBS uh, sports throughout the year. And uh, it's a common argument on social media about what conference is the best in college hockey. And uh, all NCHC fans will die on a hill saying, oh, without a doubt, it's the NCHC. We've won the last four national championships. We have two teams in the Frozen Four this year. Uh, from your perspective, what is it that makes the NCHC the best conference in college hockey? That's a really good question. It's a better question than what's, a good, than what's the best conference because that can be so subjective. What makes the conference good is a great question. And here is what makes the conference so good. When you look at the Big Ten, which I think is a good conference, which has high skill guys, when you look at Hockey East, which is a good conference and has a lot of high skill guys that all go on to play in the NHL, the difference there is they got a lot of those A-plus kids, a lot of those kids from the program, and they come in and they play a year or two and they're gone. And in the NCHC, you get a lot of high-end kids also, but a lot of those high-end kids, the A-plus kids, the Brock Besters, the Tyson Joseph of the world, you know, they're going to leave early, and that's just the reality of it. But you also get a lot of A-minus guys coming out of the BC League or out of the USHL, and those players stay because they understand that they're playing in a league where for them, it's better off playing in the NCHC than going and playing in the American League for a year or two years because the games, the practice to game ratio is better. They get more time to train. They're getting really well coached. They're not just part of the system. They're, they're an integral part of their team's culture. The upperclassmen get a chance to breed the culture to the younger players on the team. There's kind of a lineage of what's expected, and it gets handed down, which makes those younger players better prepared for when they move on to – a, being captains, and then B, being pros. So I, I really think that because of the fact that you get more teams with older players that have more three- to four-year guys on it, it makes the league better. The players are bigger, older, stronger, faster, smarter. That's number one. And number two is 
when you go down the roster of the NCHC teams, I mean, even the teams where you get into that six, seven, eight hole, those are still some pretty good teams that are pretty competitive and they've got guys on their team that are going to be pros. So straight through you're playing against guys that are going to play at the next level. And when you play North Dakota, I mean, there are a couple of teams this year that play North Dakota six, seven times. I mean, half that roster is going to be, is going to play a game or two in the NHL and, and probably a, a quarter of it is going to play over a couple hundred games in the NHL. That can only make you better as a player trying to get to the next level because you're playing against guys that are going to play there and play there meaningfully. So to me, that's why the NCHC separates itself. It's got that great combination of seniors, older players, better players, high-end players, stronger teams, and more depth. And the coaching in that conference is off the charts. Yeah, and just to bounce off that, I've seen a lot of stuff on social media and Twitter from I would assume would be kind of East Coast, Big Ten type fan bases that complain about having to play, specifically the BC fans complaining about having to play St. Cloud because they got 25-year-olds on their roster, 32-year-olds, however, they're they're framing it. And I just, I, I personally think that's what makes the NCHG great as long, along with what you're saying is just guys go and play three years of junior. They come in, they're old, they're adults, they're, they're grown men, and then they play another four years. They just win consistently. And then by the time they make it to the pros, they tend to have incredibly good careers. So it's just. Absolutely. Oh, I'll tell you what, let me, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you on that, but like, just here's, you bring up a good point here about sometimes you hear the, the fan bases of other conferences complaining about the older players in the NCHC. It's, it's, a, there are older players in those other conferences too. You know, I've, like, if you look at some of the rosters at Hockey East, they got some older players there also. So I, I don't know that necessarily that argument completely holds water. And with St. Cloud State, the one thing about St. Cloud is they're not young, but they're not old. Like they're one of those teams right now that's sort of in the middle on that, on that scale of, of age group. But the, you know, the thing is, is this, you, you can do your roster any way you want. And for years, there were a lot of schools that said, Hey, we got to get out of this one and done two and done scenario with our players, but yet they can't help themselves to taking that grade a player when that grade a player comes available. And if you've got a guy that's going to give you two years of, you know, 45 points a year and then go on to the NHL as a first round pick and says he wants to go to your school. I mean, you can tell him no. I mean, like, so that's right. Like that's the problem. So that's where the NCHC is a very unique blend. And there are, there are some great teams in hockey. BC had an up and down year, but over the years, BC has some great teams. BU has had some great teams. Providence has had some great teams. Lowell's had some great teams. UMass for the last three years has had some great teams and, you know, Maine back in the, in the aughts, Maine had some phenomenal teams. UNH had some phenomenal teams. And it was a combination of what we're talking about right now. Some of those A-minus, B-plus kids who they made better, who stayed four years and made their programs programs that could reach the national tournament in the Frozen Four. I mean, remember, Maine spent the entire decade of the aughts basically playing in the Frozen Four. And New Hampshire was in a national tournament like 22 straight years. So, so that formula works. And the other conferences can't really say they haven't been a part of it. Yeah, you talked about um, kind of molding those older players and those players ended up going pro. Well, we just got some breaking news. Uh, Jacob Bernard Docker just signed his three-year deal, entry-level deal with the Ottawa Senators. So we're losing that pivotal piece on our back end for the Sioux here. Who else do you see leaving for North Dakota? I know Pinto is a big question mark. Sanderson's a big question mark. Um, do you do you think those guys end up leaving? Shields a big question mark. What what uh, does your inside sources say? Here's a funny story. About 10 years ago, Matt Mangine, who was a Long Island kid who I knew pretty well, was playing at Maine, and and he had just finished his junior year, and somebody asked me in an interview, do I think Matt Mangine is ready to go pro? And I said, I he could probably play in the American League. I think he should go back for a year. 
And then he turned pro and Timmy Whitehead called me and he said, I think he listened to it. I'm not really happy about it. <laughs> so, so I'm really careful now about who I think should go pro and who shouldn't, but it, like I'm looking at North Dakota's roster right now. So, okay. So obviously you got the seniors. Shane Pinto to me is a forward is probably ready to go. I think he sh probably should come back for another year, but I do think if he left, he could survive. I'm a big fan. If you're a center, maybe one more year is a good idea, but I think physically he is ready to go. And with his skill set. I think he could survive. He'll need a little time in the American League, but I think he could survive. Then you look at Jasper Weatherby. Like, Weatherby's an interesting cat because, like, late in the season, he was pretty good. And when he got on the power play, he showed me a side of him that I wasn't sure that I saw in the last couple of years. But to me, Weatherby coming back as a senior, would I think, would be terrific. You know, and then, and then you start to move down. Reese Gaber needs to stay. Jacob Bernard Dock, you just mentioned, is leaving. Jake Sanderson. Now, here come the defensemen. You got Sanderson and Clevin, who both could be flight risks. Sanderson, especially to me, Clevin should stay. It's not even a question mark. He, I think he needs some more time. And again, as a defenseman, late matriculation position, I think he would really benefit by being with that group for another couple of years. Cause look what that group has done developing defensemen. Sanderson to me could play in Ottawa tomorrow. And while I would love to see him go one more year, I, I think that, the jury is out on that one. But if you look at some of the great defensemen, like take a look at Michigan, Quinn Hughes played two years. Zach Wierenski played two years. To me, I think Jake Sanderson should at least play a second year. Yeah, and Kale McCarr, another guy that played two years as well. Yep. And, um, uh, you know, when we talk about this, it always gets me depressed because I'm still attached mm -hmm. to this 2020-2021 team. And uh, you've been covering college hockey for a long time. I just want to know where does this team, even though they didn't get the job done, they're still an all-time great team here at UND. Where do they rank in terms of all-time great uh, college hockey teams from the games that you've covered in your career? You know what? That's a good. That's a good question. I really hadn't thought about that. This this group was pretty darn good, and I, I you know I've told a lot of people when you look down this roster, I mean there are not a lot of holes, and the depth that this group had was was really unique. And when it when you started, first of all, I think losing Mark Sendon hurt more than everybody gave it credit for. Like it was, Sendon was really good as that third line center was a really good penalty killer. Dane Jackson said to me, he didn't think that they had a penalty killer in the last 15 years. That was as good as Mark Sendon. And that's saying something because they've had some pretty good PK units uh, through here in the last, in the last decade and a half or so. But I think when you, when you look at this team, you take a look at that senior line that started together, mishmash Kawaguchi Adams, you know, that might've been one of the best lines in the nation. And it's probably one of the best lines in the history of UND. And, you know, but then you look at a second group that Pink Pinto anchored. I mean, that, second line for them is a first line on probably any other team in the conference. So where does this team rank all time for North Dakota teams? I think unless you win a national title, it's hard to say they were the best, but I think when you look down talent wise and you, you go player for player against a lot of the great UND teams, like I say, let's say top guy in the roster versus top guy in another roster, all the way down to the 18th, 19th and the goalies, this group has got to be somewhere in the top five or six I, at, at the very least, you know, I, and it's funny because Adam Scheel, as a goalie, little unheralded, I mean, he did a phenomenal job. Reminds me of what Cam Johnson did. You know, came in undrafted, did his job, and got better as he went along and figured it out and dialed in. And I feel so bad for the goal that Scheel gave up in overtime. Like, I was 5'9 and full of energy. I couldn't cover my 5 hole very well. You know, for this guy in the eighth period, it's starting to wear down a little bit. I think people don't understand how hard it is for your brain to give your big legs a message that it's you got to get your knees closed and go down. And he, it just happened. I think Shields a hell of a goalie who's had a tremendous comeback year after losing a net towards the end of last season. 
Yeah, and I have to to back what Sam said about just the emotional connection that we have to this this 2020-2021 UND team. I mean, we were in Joe Black's bar watching that goal get scored and it, just the entire community, you could just tell that the was just sad and everybody's still kind of recovering from that. I've been in class with professors who are like, oh man, that was, <laughs> that was so bad. But uh, I want to ask you in this just weird COVID age and with the new rules in the NCAA with the, the transfer portal, it's getting to where there's, it's almost like college hockey free agency at this point. And we saw that uh, I think it was, is it Casey Gilling from Miami just entered the portal and then committed to UMD uh, Duluth yep. for next year. Uh, what, what do you kind of make of this transfer portal stuff? And also on top of that, do you see any guys in the transfer portal that could maybe make their way up to Grand Forks next year? I, I think that the, the, well, the big talk is what's going to happen with Crickshank out of Colorado college and whether or not he becomes a target for, for North Dakota. And to me, boy, would that ever fit perfectly if, if that should come to fruition. But it's funny, like college hockey now has free agency and it's, it's bizarre, but it's there. And I, I, I joked around last night with somebody about how, you know, NCAA teams are going to have to hire free agency scouts. And, you know, I might be back in business here because you know, I did it as an NHL free agency guy for a long time. I mean, this is I've never seen anything like this. And I think there's 200 guys in the portal. That doesn't necessarily mean that everybody in the portal is actually going to transfer. I think there are a lot of guys that are throwing their names out there just to see if they attract any interest there. There are probably some teams where, like Todd Woodcroft came into Vermont. I guarantee you he walked in there and said, this is not going to fly, and I got to make some changes. And he probably told some guys to go into the portal, and he probably said to some guys, this is the way we're going to do things. you got to decide if you want to stay or not, but we're about to up the ante here. And some of those guys may have opted to, to get out. I think that's happening probably with some other programs too. I know Chris Bergeron is laying the hammer down in Miami, and he wants a much more no-nonsense, much more we're tired of – this type of situation mentality within his group. And, you know, he, he might've woken a couple of guys up to say, Hey, this, this might not be for me and not every player is for every coach. You know I mean? There could be guys that come into a, into a program and all of a sudden decide, Hey, I, I, I might've either overestimated my ability. I don't fit here, or I may have underestimated the demands on myself and I need to play somewhere else. So I'm very intrigued at how this shakes out. And as far as North Dakota goes, Here's my thing. If you're in the transfer portal in North Dakota calls, how are you not listening? Uh, I kind of want to transition into uh, the UND, the Sioux hockey fan base before we were fully exposed to you before uh, we moved over to CBS sports network and you calling games uh, world juniors, obviously you're repping that USA polo right now. We're all very <laughs> jealous of it. Um, uh, we just want to know uh, what it's like calling such a great tournament, the passion, especially up in Canada and uh, some of your best memories from calling that tournament. Oh, that tournament is unbelievable. I, I've told people it's like March Madness on steroids. It's and up there, I mean, it is the country literally shuts down for two weeks. The when nights that Canada's playing, it's it's a sight to behold. And I've been lucky enough because I've called a lot of them up there and got a chance to experience like what's going on in whatever city we're in, whether it's in Ottawa or Victoria or Vancouver or Edmonton. It's it's just Saskatoon was off the charts. I mean, it's just been it's been crazy and it's been a great experience because you get to see so many good players from so many different countries and you get so many classic games and that those 2010 games in the U S and Canada, the regular, the, you know, the blue pool play one, the Canada one in a shootout where they came back in the last minute. And then the gold medal game where they came back, sent it to overtime and Carlson scored the game winner. I mean, those, those two rank among my favorite games of all time, those 2017 games in, in the medal round, the shootouts against the Russians, and then the shootout against Canada, the Troy Terriathon. I mean, those two games are unbelievable. There are so many great games in there. And 
you, like I said, you get a chance to see the future of the league on display in the world juniors. And that to me has been the best part about it. And just watching USA hockey grow like that to me, the, the, the fact that we can now put two teams in that tournament instead of just one, the fact that we can now win a gold medal without our best players there. I mean, think about it from this old one group, no Robertson, no Quinn Hughes and, or sorry, no Jack Hughes. And they still want to gold medal. And those are two pretty good players. So I think that we've gotten to that point where not only we equal to the Canadians at the U20 level, in many ways, we've probably surpassed them too. And on any given year, U.S. or Canada can win a gold medal. And neither one of them is an upset. Neither one of them is a favorite. I love the fact that we have narrowed the gap. A lot of it goes back to the creation of the ADM that we're making better players. And I think a lot of it has gone back to the fact that the coaching among our coaching body especially at the higher levels is so much better and it gets better like every five-year cycle it just gets better yeah and i i have to second on just being the world junior is has become just a tradition especially in my household over christmas time new year's eve you got that usa canada game and when we watched the gold medal game this year we were so high on patriotism that we had just had to turn on miracle and watch it with the boys <laughs> and the end of miracle obviously has the 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 call from who's Al Michaels, the, do you believe yeah. miracles? Yes. And I forget his name, the play-by-play that you were with for the USA Canada gold medal game, but he said red, white, blue, and gold. So my oh, question, Steven Nelson, that was a great call. Great call. Just tremendous. My question for you is do, do you guys think about that before they make those awesome calls or does it just come natural? Like Al Michaels said, like where he just thought miracle. I'm going to, I'm going to go with it's natural. I would tell you this. I think that there are probably some really, really good play-by-play guys that have a thought in their mind how they want to surmise something if it just ends conventionally. And there, there are probably some things that they want to get said to summarize the term. But remember, they're going to try to summarize something in all of 10 words because at that moment of high emotion among the fans, it's really hard to keep their attention to vocals as opposed to images. That's why so many great play-by-play guys will lay out like when the Devils won their first Stanley Cup, Mike Emmerich's thing was the, De- uh, the Stanley Cup to New Jersey, the Devils win the Cup or something along those. It was simple, but that's really what it was because for so long that franchise has been so bad and they finally climbed up the ladder and Mike summed it perfectly, the Stanley Cup to New Jersey. And to me, that summed up perfectly what the Devils winning the Cup meant because nobody thought they were going to hear those words. I don't think guys will overscript. I just think they've got a theme in their head as to what they want to get out there and the great ones can do it in 10 words or less. And Nelly did a Nelly nailed it with red, white, blue, and gold. And I do not think he scripted that. Yeah, that was a great call. You still, I still listen to it. Sometimes I just get goosebumps all over my body. Listening to that call, (laughs) that game for me felt like almost a, not a miracle on ice type game, but you had the Canadians, you know, all the first round draft picks, all the skill and the Americans, I don't want to say ragtag group because they were uh, super high skills, great group, but they definitely didn't match up to the Canadians and they ended up shutting them out to rip in that game. Did you going into that game? Were you like, this is going to be a close game or what was your thinking going into that gold medal game? I have yet to see a USA Canada game that hasn't been nip and tuck. And I, plus gold medal games are a little different. They take on a different dynamic because for the most part, the first five, eight minutes, teams are being really careful because, I mean, you can't win a game in the first couple of minutes, but you can lose one. And I think both teams did everything they could not to lose that game early. And you want to get the first goal because you don't want to chase the game. So I think both teams came out with a mindset of 
you know, let's fill the other one out and then we'll go from there. Cause they hadn't played each other in the tournament. You know, there are a lot of tournaments where they've played each other at least once then played each other yet. So there was a little bit of a feeling out process and it's different on video than it is once you, once you get into live fire. It's, it was a close game. I thought it was a well-played game. And I did think that we stacked up pretty well. Like I, I thought the U S grit factor was a huge part of that game. And they might not have had 20 first round picks on their team, but they had a lot of guys that checked a lot of boxes in terms of how you want to build a team for a short-term tournament. I thought they had the best goalie in the tournament to start with. I thought they had an elite defense core that matched Canada basically stride for stride. And up front, I thought there was some heaviness. There was some opportunistic play. And I, the U.S.'s first three lines, by the time they got to that gold medal game, their top three lines were humming. And their fourth line was as good a fourth line as you could put together. To me, the difference, I thought, I didn't watch Canada as much as I watched the U.S., but I watched them a bit. I thought the U.S.'s team handled their roles. Some of the guys who play big roles with the regular team, moving down to a bottom six role, I thought their buy-in to the bottom six role was better than maybe some of Canada's guys were. Yeah, as you said, that USA-Canada game is always a, a treat to watch and having you on the call, uh, it's just a cherry on the top for it. Uh, but let's focus on you a little bit. Um, uh, let's talk about, can you walk us through, uh, first of all, your playing career and how that transitioned into your scouting career and how that transitioned into uh, your play-by-play or uh, color commentating career? My career, my playing career. Uh, that's a very generous term for my playing career is to call it a career. I mean, I had, uh, I had a nice youth hockey career here in New York. That was, I mean, I played at a time here where we weren't producing many players. So if you're playing here in the greater New York area, you were playing because you love the game. And, and I got lucky enough to, to move on to college at the university of Hartford and had a couple seasons there. And my sophomore year was a great year for me, but I, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to play at any level higher. I wanted to, but I knew I wasn't going to. And I, I was always a student of the game. Like to me, I, st- and I still am. Like I really feel like each and every day is a good opportunity to learn something else about the game, whether you watch the film or you call a coach, or you call a scout. And, you know, I try every day to talk to somebody in the business about something regarding our game. So I can find out some new wrinkle that I can play with or process against some of the old things that have been around that I believe in too. And, but the, the, the transition to it, it was kind of funny. Like I, I, had gone to do a, a minor league tryout in 1990 and I didn't make a team. And Kenny Albert was an old friend of mine. And Kenny said to me, why don't you come down to Baltimore and, you know, do some of the Jacks games and, you know, I probably could use a practice goalie and that kind of thing. And I, I came down there and I, you know, I practiced a bit and, and Barry Trotz was the assistant coach there at the time. And, you know, Barry kind of took me under his wing and taught me how to do video and pre-scouts. And, you know, I used to do some work for him and in, in, in that situation. And we were really lucky because my first year in Baltimore, so I'm doing, Games on the radio and some on TV with Kenny Albert. So that's a good thing. Um, learning how to do video and pre-scouts and practice planning from Barry Trotz. That's a good thing. And then Washington had a defenseman who had just gotten sent down to Baltimore after playing his 800th game in the NHL. That was Joel Quenville. And Joel was interested in coaching. So Joel was constantly into coaches room picking Barry's brain. And I'm listening to him and Barry talking hockey. And you got Joel's 800 games of experience and Barry's experience you know, from his days in the Western Hockey League as a, as, as a coach and, and all the work that he had done there. And could you be in a better spot to launch a career than having Joel Quenville, Barry Trotz, and Kenny Albert as your first three professional colleagues when you join the business at that level? And from there, it, if I couldn't make it after that, that was my own fault because <laughs> I had a great start with that trio and it, and it kind of took off from there. Yeah, that's uh, there's some names that you dropped there that we were a little little flabbergasted by. We love it's amazing. People... It's, it's amazing to think back on. I mean, like I did nothing to earn that. I mean, I just I fell into a situation that was unbelievable. 
But I think at the very least was smart enough to realize that I was in a good situation. And those guys weren't those guys yet. Quinville was, but he wasn't a coach yet. But I mean, Quinn had a big name and Kenny was on the rise. I mean, everybody knew how good Kenny was even back then. But, you know, when I look back at it now, yeah, that's a, <laughs> it was a pretty good place to start. Yeah, that's a good roster, but uh, we're getting kind of close here, here, Dave. So we're going to do a little bit of a speed round. All three of us sure. are going to shoot a question at you. My question is I'm from North Dakota. I love this place. You're from New York. You've came up here twice now this year. What's your favorite part about coming to the state of North Dakota to call hockey games? The fan base. I love the vibe and the passion and the, the buzz in town when we're in town. I also love the fact that I could check into my hotel and I walk in and the guy or gal at the desk knows me and Shereen. I think that's really cool. When we walk in there, they, they just know we're coming and that's really neat. So we've, we've been accepted as family up there and it's, it means a lot to the both of us. Yeah. We love it when you're in town, the CBS sports guys in town. And, and when we see you at the Ralph, it, it puts a smile right on my face. Uh, I got, so we got, we got to ask, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask uh, your frozen four picks. Who's the national championship? Who's winning what games? I never, ever, John Davison taught me this lesson. Don't ever predict in games that you're involved in broadcasting. So I, I will never, ever predict. I, I will tell you this. I think that when you look at the Minnesota State St. Cloud game, I, I think that has a chance to be a barn burner. I think Minnesota State is a little underrated. And Mike Hastings does a great job with that team and always has. That's a really good defensive juggernaut that I think is going to take St. Cloud a while to, to figure out and find some inroads into. But I think that game could be a really good one. And when you look at the other side of the bracket, I know UMass is not very well known out West. I'm telling you, they are, they're St. Cloud is what they are. So if you think the games between North Dakota and St. Cloud are pretty good, then the game between UMD and UMass should be great. And UMass now is a year more experienced having been to a frozen four before. So I don't think they're going to be overwhelmed by the moment, which makes that game against UMD really, really unique. Uh, so my question, my question regards to, uh, I'm going to take out the possibility of the UND Duluth five overtime game and all world junior games. What's been your favorite uh, college game you've called in your career outside of, uh, the, your most recent game you called? Wow. Uh, I was like, there's like 300 of them. Um, take out the classic world junior games. We mentioned to take out the recent weekend. Oof. I'll give you one. I'll give you a couple. There was, there was a game that I did at the World Juniors in 2011. I worked that tournament with Gary Thorne, which to me was a dream come true. And I will never forget the first game. The U.S. played the Finns, and it was a really good game. And I spent the first five minutes of the game literally listening to Gary call the game. and Because I've heard him call so many games through my TV. And I used to do stats for Gary. And it was Gary and Peter McNabb when I first started out in the business working for Sports Channel in New York. So this to me was one of the coolest things. I had heard Gary's ear voice through my ears a lot and never had to respond. So I was just enjoying it. And finally, Gary turned to me at one point and said, and you can answer whenever you want. So, that, so I thought that was kind of cool. And then Mike Emmerich and I did a game between, and we did a couple together. We did a game between on CSTV between Denver and Maine. And it was a national championship game. And, you know, I had known Mike a little bit and he walked into Alphon Arena and said to me, this is your show. What do you need from me? And I thought to myself, whoa like who just said that and it was the same deal on air like I literally listened to the first two minutes and at one point Emmer tapped me on the hand and said and you can speak when you want to so I thought those you know those are two really unique moments but the best game senior night at Cornell it was a game I did with Emmerich the place was packed Harvard Cornell is one of the great rivalries in college hockey one of Harvard's defensemen senior got hurt 
on a cross check like late in the game. So Harvard wound up on a five minute major. He left the game. I think it was Peter Kennedy and then wound up coming back into the game and scoring the eventual game winner to ruin senior night at Cornell. The atmosphere was so good that Emmerich said on air, I've done Olympics. I've done Stanley cup finals. I've done some of the biggest games in hockey. I've never been in an atmosphere like this. That to me still resonates. Yeah, that's uh, that would imagine I would love an atmosphere like that. Just those smaller barns too. I mean, they definitely generate a different type of atmosphere than we're used to here in the Ralph. Um, I'm going to ask one more question. I said, we did each one <laughs> outside, outside of the Ralph. What's uh, your favorite NCHC barn to call games in? Oh God, there's a lot of them. I'm still really partial to Alphonse Arena in Maine. I, I think it is just one of the coolest rinks out there. I do like Yale too, but I, I think that the Al- Alphon is just really unique. And it, the, the fans are right on top of you. There's a second level where the fans are literally hanging over the visiting goalie. How nobody's gotten killed up there without a net, I have no idea. But it's it's a really cool barn. It's in like kind of like in the middle of nowhere. You just sort of drive along the woods, and there it is. And it's very quaint. It's very New England. It's when Maine was going really well. The atmosphere in there was unbelievable. So like that would be up there. And I'll tell you what, it rivals the atmosphere at Lawson Arena in at Western Michigan. Like I, I look at those two very similar. Lina Rink at Cornell is very similar. I thought the old Yost more so than a new Yost was was very much like that too. But I I love the big places, the palaces. The Ralph is unbelievable. But there's some of those small barns that you know, with the, with the high ceilings and the tradition in there also that are really cool, but Alphonse Arena in Maine really stands out to me. Yeah. I mean, just, I, I feel like that's a question we ask every single person we have on the program is, is where's your favorite place to play favorite place to go watch a college hockey game. But uh, you, the way you talked about Gary Thorne and Doc Emmerich, Dave Starman, that is how we feel about you. You are our Doc Emmerich. You are our Gary Thorne. And uh, we are, so lucky that you were able to take the time to come on and talk to us. We really appreciate it. And uh, good luck. I believe you're on the radio for the, for the frozen forest. We might have to get the radio call on for that. Uh, Good luck with that. Good luck in the future. And uh, hopefully we get to see more of you at the Ralph next season. Hey, listen, I really appreciate having me on. Those are, those are kind words regarding Gary and doc. Those, those guys will, you know, those guys will live forever is the two of the greatest hockey voices that we will ever have the pleasure of hearing. And it was an honor to have worked with those guys. And it was an honor to join you guys too. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Dave. We appreciate it.